Last week we spoke to you from the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. And we came down to verse 8. We read where the Apostle Peter addressed those he was writing to, to be vigilant, to be sober, for your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'd like to begin there this morning. We find here where Peter believed that we have a real enemy. And he exhorted those he was writing to to be vigilant and to be sober. That means to be clear thinking and to be alert because you have an enemy out there that he names for us as the devil. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul writes and he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and so doing put on the whole armor of God. Paul, like Peter, identifies an enemy of the Lord's people. The devil has always been an enemy of God, enemy of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, an enemy of truth, enemy of his church, enemy of his kingdom. He is your personal enemy. And the closer you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more he has you in his sight. Now it's been said that some people walk so far away they don't even arouse his opposition. So if you're not being opposed by the devil, that's probably because you're not walking as close as you need to to the Lord. The closer you walk to him, the more opposition we can expect from the devil and his influence. So both Paul and Peter identify an enemy. They declare that we have an enemy and declare that enemy as the devil. And that's not the only name that he goes by. We are very familiar with the name Satan, right? Now the word devil means accuser, and the word Satan means adversary. So we have an adversary and we have an accuser. But he goes by other names also. And as you study these names, you can see uh, something about the devil, Satan, how he approaches and how he goes about his work, so to speak, in trying to derail the people of God. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, we have Christ going on top of the mountain. We call the mountain of temptation. And I just want one part of that out of that right now. We find where the Lord identified him in three ways. He called him Satan. He called him the devil most of the time. You read this also in Luke chapter 4. But he also called him the tempter. So that's, a, that's another name for Satan. And that's because he is good at tempting you to do things you shouldn't do. He's known here as the tempter. Now if we come over to the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 9, we'll find here that there's a, a great dragon brought to our attention. And we find where John associates this great dragon with Satan and the devil. But he gives another name here. He says that old serpent. Notice the serpent is called the old serpent. And I believe he calls him the old serpent because he's been around a long time. You know, sometimes you might tell somebody, well, you know, I've been around the block a few times. I've been around a while. That's just telling everybody I've had a lot of birthdays. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Well, the serpent has been here a long time. We find him, first of all, in Genesis chapter 3, do we not? After God had created man, Adam, and gave him a wife by the name of Eve, we find where God had instructed Adam very clearly that he could, try, he could eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
And he said, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3 opens up with the serpent coming on the scene. And we're told that the serpent was more subtle. That means crafty and clever. More subtle and you know, more crafty and clever than any other beast. And he approaches Eve. We notice his tactic here. Uh, he doesn't go and confront Adam. He goes to Eve, his wife. And in conversation, Eve tells him what the Lord has said unto Adam. But we find here another thing that Satan excels at. And that's using the word of God, but changing it. Oftentimes just one word, just one letter, and totally and completely reversing it. She says, the Lord said, or God said, the day we eat thereof, we should surely die. But he said, thou shalt surely not die. That's an exact quotation with the exception of the word not, N-O-T. But as you know, the word not totally reversed what the Lord had said. And we find when Eve saw that the food was good for the sight, pleasant to the sight, and good to eat, and would enable them to know good and evil, she partook of the fruit, and then she gave it to her husband Adam, and he did partake. Now, we look over the book of 2 Timothy, and you'll find where Timothy, in the last part of chapter 2, will tell us that Adam was first formed, and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived in the transgression. The woman was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. Now, Adam knew exactly what he was doing. The commandment of God was very clear, very plain, could be no misunderstanding, and Adam deliberately transgressed God's law. As a result of that, what do we have? Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered into the world, and, de and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So we see here uh, a tactic, just one of many tactics that Satan has, and that's why he carries that name, the old serpent. Now notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul opens this chapter by saying, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. Now normally we speak against being envious and jealous of other people, and we should. But there is a positive side to this. I wouldn't think too much of a husband who didn't, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be jealous about his wife, or a wife wouldn't be jealous about her husband. I just wouldn't think the love's not there that it ought to be. If you love somebody dearly and you think that love is being threatened, you're going to become a little jealous. So Paul says, I'm jealous of you. What kind of jealousy? Godly jealousy. Not ungodly jealousy, but godly jealousy. He says, for why fear? He says, because I have espoused you to one husband and have presented you as a chaste virgin. Now, the husband is Christ. He says, now, he's the husband. I presented you as the chaste virgin. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve in the garden. Now, that will tell us several things. One of, uh, here, uh, Paul believed in the accurate little account of the book of Genesis. He certainly did. And he believed that was an action that took place in the Garden of Eden when Adam transgressed God's law. He says, I fear less by any means as the serpent who beguiled Eve in the beginning through his subtility. Same word that you find in Genesis 3. Lest your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. That word simplicity there means to be focused with the singleness of mind, your devotion to God. It means... Um, sincerely. 
And so our service to God should be one of sincerity. And we need to be focused entirely on that and not allow other things to interrupt it. But you see, Paul was concerned that the serpent would come along and do the same thing to the church at Corinth that he'd done to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, this has been 4,000 years since that took place, but Paul believed it took place. And Paul literally believed that happened a real place called the Garden of Eden, a real man, Adam, a real woman named Eve, and a real enemy, by the, uh, the serpent here, that deceived Eve and led to the transgression. Now, in the book of in 2 Corinthians, again, the 11th chapter, you come to the 13th verse. And Paul says, There shall be false apostles, deceitful workers, and even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, He's not light. Satan is darkness. He's wicked. But he has the power and the ability to transform himself into an angel of light to deceive you. He's a pretender, you see. He's a counterfeiter. He says he has the power to transform himself into an angel of light. And no marvel. He said, if that's true, then his ministers, and he has ministers, and he has angels, he has agents, he has workers, he has people uh, in his camp more than you could ever imagine. That's why he has worldwide influence. Even his ministers are able to be transformed as ministers of righteousness. That means here's somebody that appears to be a minister of God, a minister of righteousness, but he's not. It is one of the angel's ministers. And here somebody might appear to be an angel of light, but he's not. It's just Satan who's transformed himself. So how are you going to know the difference? Well, the Word of God will always tell you the difference. Now, I'm told that tellers and banks are trained not to be exposed and learn about all the counterfeit uh, that goes on, but they are trained to be very knowledgeable of the real thing. They handle money every day. They're trained to know the real thing from the counterfeit. And so uh, they can tell maybe by the feel, by the look. And of course, they got that pen they're always marking bills with, you know. <laughs> but anyway, they're trained to know the real. And the more you know about what's right and the truth, the easier it is to detect the counterfeit and that which is not true. So we see that Satan is a counterfeiter. All right, we see that he's called the old serpent. He's called, oh, oh, by the way, back there in Revelation 12, 9, he's called that great dragon. And that's because he's a destroyer. Now, when you think about a dragon, you think about a destroyer. You think about a, a, a dragon as an enemy, do you not? I don't have a pet dragon at home, do you? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to have a pet dragon. just don't have confidence in it. Uh, a dragon's design is to destroy and to consume so you see these names that were given here, the old serpent, deception, that great dragon, destroyer, Satan, our adversary, the devil, our accuser, and the Lord gave him the label of tempter. Paul says he can transform himself to an angel of light. Um, his ministers can transform themselves as ministers of righteousness. And there were false apostles. And notice what kind of workers, deceitful workers. These are, uh, these are people who appear to begin with, to be genuine, to be uh, of the right kind, but they're not. They're very deceitful. Now, I want to read to you a passage from Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going to read this to you for emphasis sake here this morning. 
Because this is going to give you a picture, a clearer picture of just who Satan is. Now, this is not Satan that's under consideration here, but it's a picture of him. Notice in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will, also, I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now you notice the word I is used here about five times. You got to watch that word I. Just, you know, one letter, I. It's the middle letter of sin, isn't it? S-I-N. It's the middle letter of pride. P-R-I-D-E. Uh, the one letter word I... Uh, is a word we need to be very, very careful about. It's the one the Pharisee used uh, excessively when he and the publican went up to the temple to pray. Remember that, Luke chapter 18? He says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men are, like this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an unjust man. There's 34 words in that prayer, and the word I is used five times. The publicans praise a much shorter prayer, but a much more effectual prayer. He smites himself upon the breast. He prays a seven-word prayer. He says, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. He'd had mercy in the past. He felt like he needed mercy in the present. And I trust that's the way you feel this morning. And I hope I feel that way. I know the benefit of God's mercy, and I don't ever want to be without it. Hebrews 4.12, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jacob knew all about it. Genesis 32 and 10, he says, I'm not worthy at least of all thy mercies and the truth that thou has bestowed upon me or has showed me. Now we notice here, notice the last expression. I'll be like the most high. That's the desire of Satan. He's so full of pride. That led to his downfall. In qualifications of ministers, you read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there are 16 of them. And you come to verse 6, and he says, He must not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. That was the devil's condemnation, his pride. And so uh, a young man starting out, he's not to be set aside quickly or rapidly. He's to have time to develop and to grow and mature and to stabilize and to prove uh, his maturity, etc. Because a novice can be exalted unnecessarily and fall into the same condemnation that the devil did. Now, some people go to this passage here to show that this is the devil, but he's not talking about the devil per se here. He's talking about Babylon and their kings. You go back, this all starts in the beginning of chapter 13 in the book of Isaiah. He addresses Babylon. The Babylon and their kings and their kingdom were the, the greatest historically that there were. And so this was the, a picture of their kings here, like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? Remember when he walked out in his kingdom one day and began to boast about what he had done before he got words out of his mouth good? God just cut him off and cut him down. 
and drove him out into the fields where he grazed grass like the oxen, and his hair grew like bird feathers, and nails grew like bird claws. And there he remained until his understanding came back to him. And when he did, he said, All the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will among the army of heaven among all the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? And when he said that, God then exalted him back to his throne. But see, this is a picture of the, all the different kings of Babylon. But it's also a picture, indeed, of who Satan is. It's a picture of him. He's called Old Lucifer, son of the morning, which means day star. Now, what's the Lord Jesus Christ referred as? In the 22nd chapter of Revelation, he says, I'm the bright and morning star. See, Satan desires to be like the most high. He desires to be like the most high. One of the ways he does is by being a god. Read in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Paul says, he says, if we be lost, he says, whom the God of this world had blinded their minds. All right, now we're talking about Satan blinding the minds of somebody. Now by nature, your mind is already, your eyes and mind are already blind. Satan doesn't have to blind the mind of the unregenerate. An unregenerate person, an unsaved person, a person that's been born in the Spirit of God does not have eyes to see or heart to understand or ears to hear. He doesn't, he doesn't have to uh, affect them. But Paul says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them who are lost, whom the God of this world, small g, God of this world, hath blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should come unto them. This tells me if he does not blind their minds, the light of the glorious gospel could come unto them. That means they've been born of the Spirit of God, but Satan doesn't want you to know the truth, understand the truth, or rejoice in the truth of sovereign grace. He just simply does not. So he's a little God, isn't he? But contrast that with our God. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Satan didn't create anything. The devil didn't create the earth. He's the little god of this earth, of this world, but he didn't create it. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds, plural, were framed by the Word of God. Notice, plural here. There's more than one world and these worlds were framed by the word of God, that is by the spoken word of God. Just like when God said, let, let there be, there was, you see. Now, they were created by the spoken word of God. They've been maintained by the power of that same word. So we see the contrast, I trust. And let me tell you this. God is in total control of when this world is going to end, not the devil. The devil didn't create this world. He's not going to destroy the world, literally. But God is. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read where this world shall be destroyed by fire. There's coming a time when the world is going to end. The Lord's going to bring it to end at his own appointed time. See, he's the God of all worlds. He's the God who created the earth, created the worlds. And he rules supremely over the worlds. But here comes the devil along, thinking he's something because he's the God of this world. And there's a lot of different worlds, by the way. Let me tell you a, a world he's not the God of. He's not the God of the world of John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world. That's his children, that's his people, that's his elect, that's his family, that's his bride. For God so loved that world, he gave his only begotten son. He's not the God of that world, I'll tell you that now. God's the God of that world as he is all the other worlds that's under consideration. We find where the Bible speaks about Satan as being the prince or being a prince. Like, let's go to Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespassing sins. Wherefore in times past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now work in the children of disobedience. Who's the prince of the power of the air? The devil is. Sometimes I think about him when we're having our services, especially it seemed like on Wednesday night from time to time, the internet would stop and our streaming would stop. And I think about the prince of the power of the air. He doesn't want the truth going out. He'll do anything and everything he can to stop that. He's the prince of the power of the air. But in John 12 and 31, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about him as being a seed. He says, uh, you know, a seed, um, except it falls to the ground and die, abideth alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it comes forth and brings forth much fruit. Now, we understand that lesson, I think, don't we? If you're going to plant a garden, you've got to go have seed. But if you bring the seed home and leave it in the bag, it's never going to bring forth any fruit. It has to be taken out of the bag, put into the ground, go through the process it goes through, and then it comes up and proves fruitful. The Lord Jesus Christ lived here for 33 and a half years, and the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, placed into a barred tomb, was resurrected from the grave, and because he was lifted up, he said, I'll draw all men unto me. That means all men of his children. He said, but the prince of the power, now is the judgment of this world, now is the judgment of the prince of the power of the air. He's talking, the prince of this world, he's talking about this devil himself. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the five names we're given him in Isaiah 9, 6 is this. Unless a child is born, unless a son is given. And his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The devil is not the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Chaos. He's a prince of trouble and disturbances, destruction. But Jesus Christ is a prince of peace. Acts 3.15, the apostle Peter is speaking here on an occasion where he healed the lame man. And he charges the nation of Israel with crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him the prince of life. Revelation 1 and 5, unto him, talking about Christ, who is the faithful witness and who is the prince of the kings of the world. Yes, Satan wants to be like the Most High, and he is a prince. He's a prince of the power of the air. He's a prince of this world. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of the kings of this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of life. The prince of life. We find where Satan is a great imitator, once again. We find where Satan... Uh, desires to be king. And in the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew, you're going to find where the Lord has cast a devil out of a man. Man was possessed of the devil, and the Lord cast him out. And I want you, uh, as you read the four Gospels, you'll never read one time where God ever tried to cast a devil out and was unsuccessful. He always cast the devil out if he purposed to do so. Always showing his power to be superior to that of the devil to Satan himself. And so they came and actually made the claim, the insane claim, that he had done this by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. 
And the Lord just gave a logical reply. He said, if I cast out devils by the finger of, uh, or by devils or by, by Beelzebub, the prince of devils, then if you do that, your kingdom can't stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. You'd be working against yourself. How absurd that was. But that shows how, how absurd their thinking was. Now, a kingdom divided against itself. Yes, Beelzebub has his kingdom. Satan has his kingdom. If you got a kingdom, you got a king. He tries to be like the Most High. But what about Jesus Christ as our king? 1 Timothy 1.17, he says, Now unto him, unto the king eternal, all wise, invisible, God of all wisdom, be honor and praise and glory. I, I love that verse. Unto the king eternal, invisible, all wise God. Our, that's our God. In Revelation 19, you find where he comes riding upon a white horse. And he has a crown upon his, he has many crowns upon his head. And he has a vesture that he wears. It's dipped in blood. And the name on that vesture is the, capital W, the word of God. And he's referred to as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Satan falls a little short, doesn't he? But he wants to be like the Most High. He wants to be a prince. He wants to be a God. He wants to be a king and have a kingdom, you see. That's what he wants to do. But while there's, that's his desire, there's, there's a quite a lot of differences as well. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, as I started off this morning, Peter said, Be vigilantly so before your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, Peter says he's as a roaring lion. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is a lion, isn't he? Go to Revelation chapter 5. You'll find where the apostle John wept because he looked in heaven and on earth beneath the earth and found no man worthy to loose the seals of the book. Now this is not the book of Revelation. It's not the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's a book that has seven seals. It's a book of revelations within the book of Revelation. No man was found worthy. He began to weep, but an angel came from heaven and says, Weep not, John. For there is one that is worthy. For the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. Here's a line that's worth talking about. The line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to loose the seals of the book. He says, I looked and I saw a lamb, spelled with a capital L, a lamb as it stood. As it stood, notice if it's standing, it's not laying in death, it's standing in resurrection power. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ laid his life down, but here the lamb is standing because the lamb was resurrected, you see. He says, the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. He said, be visibly so before your adversary. We have an adversary. An adversary is someone who's against you, somebody who opposes you. And Satan has been that down through the ancients of times. You know, over here, uh, that name, one of the names I told you about, the dragon, uh, and the old serpent and dragon, the old serpent and dragon has been around a long time opposing God's people. We took you to the book of Genesis for the old serpent, but take a look at the word dragon. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 51, you'll find where Jeremiah describes the king of Babylon as a dragon. 
In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 29, I believe, in the book of Ezekiel, he describes Pharaoh as a dragon. There's always been dragons. So you go back and look at Pharaoh as the dragon, the destroyer. He did all he possibly could to diminish the multitudes of the Israelites, and the more he tried to diminish them with his plans, the greater they multiplied and grew. But his desire was to destroy them or get them way down. Then his plan was to destroy every male child that was born. That failed too, didn't it? You know, they would be drowned in the, in the river. As I mentioned last Sunday, you have Moses, uh, when he was born, his parents saw he was a goodly child. And they made an ark there and put him in the ark and put him in, in the bulrushes there in the river. Uh, I believe I mentioned you couldn't get any closer to death than that. He's, he's in the river, uh, just a little baby in an ark without protective hands around him. And the decree of Pharaoh is to destroy all the male children. Here comes his daughter walking down to the, to the river to bathe, and she hears the baby's cry. You might think the first reaction she would have would be to, uh, once she identified this was a baby of the Hebrews, was to have him slain according to the commandment of his father. But he didn't do it. See, the old dragon here was overcome by the Lord. And certainly Nebuchadnezzar was a great dragon as he took God's people into captivity for 70 years and oppressed them. That's what that 13th, 14th chapter of Isaiah is all about. There's always been a dragon. <laughs> There'll always be a dragon till the end of time. There's always been a serpent from the beginning of time. There'll always be the old serpent to deceive until the end of time. And so we find where Satan desires to be like the Most High. He wanted to be the, a prince. He wanted to be the God of this world, a king with a kingdom, a lion. But let's notice some of the differences here. He is our adversary, but guess what? We have an advocate with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, John says, Little children, these things we write in you, you sin not, but if any man sin, they know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Aren't you glad that we have somebody to stand by our side, somebody to represent us, somebody to take us by the hand, you know, I've always been told uh, uh, anybody that tries uh, to defend themselves in court without a lawyer trying to defend themselves a fool. I'm going to tell you this. If you're trying to defend yourself against the devil, that's your advocate. You're a greater fool. But we have an advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.24 says Christ is not, uh, you know, in heaven in a place that's been made with hands. But he says he now is appearing in the presence of God for us at this moment, at this time. Aren't you glad of that? I'm so happy and thankful to know that I have an advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have somebody to support me, somebody to support my thoughts, my feelings, my circumstances, my situation here in life. I know I have an adversary, but thank God I have an advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the accuser of our brethren. Read Zechariah 3.1. And you'll find a man by the name of Joshua. And that's not the same Joshua who brought Israel across Jordan's River. It's a different Joshua uh, many, many years down the road. But he comes, he's a high priest, and he comes in the presence of the Lord. See, a prophet representing God to the people, but a, pre, a priest representing people to God. He comes before the Lord to represent the people. Well, guess who else is there? He says, but Satan was there, also on the right hand, to resist him. Satan will just follow you wherever you go. I imagine he rode with all of us to church this morning. 
You didn't see him. I imagine he'll come right in the pew and sit down with you because he's a great distractor. Now, people don't think I see them when they're using their cell phones in church. I see you. People don't think I see you when you're using your tablets in church. I see you. People become so attached to them, so addicted to them, if they take one step out of the house without it, they almost panic. Got to get back in the house. Got to get that phone. Got to have it on me. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about myself a little bit here, but anyway... <laughs> See, I know by experience. <laughs> We've become so attached to them, we just feel like we leave, you get in a row, I, I forgot my phone. What's going to happen? I, I, I don't know if I can get back home safely. I don't have my phone with me. <laughs> you know I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> he didn't want you listening to me this morning, especially when I'm talking about him. He don't want you to hear me talk about him. He'll do anything he can to distract you and pull your attention away. Every single time you come to the house of God, you may be here in body, but are you here in mind? Are you thinking about yesterday or thinking about tomorrow? Are you focusing on the word of God, on the subject matter I'm trying to present to you, see? Satan is our adversary. Satan is a liar. The Lord Jesus Christ called him that in John 8, 44. He told some unregenerating Jews, he says, you're your father, the devil. He says, who was, a, who was a murderer from the beginning. Talking about his experience in Eden back there. He's a murderer from the beginning. And he says, he's a liar and the father of it. He lied to Eve right in the very beginning, did he not? He lied to her. Led in his actions, his influence led to death. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is not a murderer. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to take life. The Lord Jesus Christ came to give life. John 14 and 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father except by me. And John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you might have life, and you might have it, what? More abundantly. He's the life giver. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God's the author of life, naturally and spiritually, eternally. Again, look at the opening verses of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And this life was what? The light of men. Satan is darkness, Jesus is light. Satan can transform himself to an angel of light, but God is light personified. When you go back and read there in the creation in Genesis chapter 1, what happened on the first day? It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. Now, he didn't create the moon and the sun for several more days. He just spoke light right into existence. Why? Because he is light. And he called darkness night, and he called light day. Now it all happened on the first day of creation. First day. First John 1 John 1.5, 1, rather. 
He said, God is light. That means he's light personifies. Where all light comes from. There is no darkness in God. He's light and there is no darkness in him. Satan is darkness and there's no light in him except he's got the power to transform himself into an angel of light through deception. He's our adversary. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's an accuser of the brethren. That's mentioned that a little bit earlier. When you go over to Revelation 12, 9 and 10, where he names Satan, the devil, that old serpent, and the great dragon, he says uh, they were all cast out. And he calls them the accuser of the brethren. Satan is an accuser. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ is? He's a justifier. I love the book of Romans for a lot of different reasons. One thing, it fits into so many different subjects. (laughs) So let's go to Romans 8, verse 33, and look at a question the Apostle Paul asked. He said, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that's died, yea, rather that's risen, that's on the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He gives three reasons why somebody cannot successfully bring condemnation to a child of grace. Christ died for him, number one. Christ rose for him, number two. And Christ is on the right hand of God and making intercession for him right now, number three. So I love the question. I really love the answer. Romans 3, 23 and 24, it says, We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by his grace, Notice that word freely, freely by its grace. I see, I got something the other day, and I got, yeah, I went to Wendy so I could get a free chili. Karen said, what else do you get? I said, well, I had to buy this to get the chili free. (laughs) She said, well, it wasn't free, was it? I said, afraid not. So I bought the cheapest sandwich I could find, and I got my free chili like the illustration I've given you before many years ago, going to Little Caesars for the free pizza. It had a big neon sign right in the window, free pizza. So I walk in and they say, can I help you? I say, yes, oh, oh I'd like, I want the free pizza. Well, we don't have free pizza. What's the sign that says free pizza? Oh, well, you've got to buy one to get that one. <laughs> and that's how the world presents grace. Free grace. If you accept it, Free grace in Christ. If you believe, free grace. If you repent, free grace. If you persevere, free grace if. Free grace but. Free grace and. The free grace of the Bible has no ifs, buts, or ands in it. All right? The Lord called him a liar. The Lord called him a murderer. The Lord called him a tempter. When you go there to Matthew chapter 4 and read about Christ going on the top of the mountain of temptation, you're going to find where Satan appeared unto the first man, Adam, in a garden. He's going to appear to the second man from heaven, the Lord himself, in a wilderness. That first man, Adam, wasn't hungry. He, he had free access to every tree in the garden of Eden to eat. The Lord Jesus Christ had gone 40 days without anything to eat. 
The first man, Adam, fell. The second man, the Lord from heaven, succeeded. He was victorious. We find where Satan approaches the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows he hadn't eaten in 40 days. And he says to him, if thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God, cast these stones into bread. And the Lord quoted to him from the word of God, from the book of Deuteronomy, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now I want you to notice the illustration here that the Lord gives us by example of what we can do ourselves to defend ourselves from this arch enemy that we have called the devil. In 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 again, it says, Be vigilant, be sober, for your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That little expression, the faith, is found a number of times in the scriptures of the New Testament. That expression, the faith, means that body of truth that will always harmonize when you properly interpret the verse of Scripture. It will never contradict another verse that you properly uh, interpreted, but they'll always fit together. That's that body of truth that involves election, and predestination, the effectual call, the resurrection, the second coming of Christ. In other words, all the doctrines of God's free and sovereign grace, reconciliation, justification, redemption, the ransom price being paid by one and one only, the Lord Jesus Christ. Resist in the faith. To do that, you have to be informed about in the Word of God. Now notice, if thou be the Son of God, cast these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He didn't take to the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, by all estimates, that was several hundred feet high. He takes him up there and he says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written in Psalms 91. He shall send his angels which shall lift thee up, lest thou dash thy feet upon a stone. Now, in the Garden of Eden, we noticed earlier where Satan what added a word, right? You know what he does here? He takes a word out. And by the way, just discovered this the other day. The word miracle and miracles that's used in the Bible you'll find in the Gospel of John where there are eight dynamic miracles of the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the King James Version tells you they're miracles. you know how many times that five of the most popular versions, perversions of the Bible today use the word miracle in the Gospel of John? Why if I was to tell you zero? I trust you'd believe me because it's the truth. They don't mention the word miracle at all. They don't. Why? Because these perversions are not designed to glorify God. They're designed, my friends, to lower your opinion of him and your evaluation of him. That's why. The devil takes a phrase out from Psalms 91, and here's the phrase, in all thy ways. In all the ways of Christ, he always pleased the Father. There's never a time he displeased the Father. Satan takes that phrase right out of there. When my ways please the Father, he says he makes even my enemies be at peace with me. When my ways please the Father, I have a right to claim any promise God's made to me in the Word of God. But if my ways aren't pleasing to the Father, I don't have that right. So the devil just takes it out. Then he takes me on a mountain. And notice the geography here. On top of a mountain, on top of the pinnacle of the temple, in the wilderness. There's no place where his influence is not. 
And he says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Satan's pretty full of himself, isn't he? He's pretty bold. I'll give you these kingdoms. The Lord didn't have to have anybody give him anything. The Lord take what he wants to take, anytime he wants to take it. But he quoted from Deuteronomy again. Three times he quotes the word of God. He says, I shall not tempt the Lord thy God, and thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou save. Oh, serve, I mean. Now, I want to bring these things to a conclusion here this morning by pointing you to the destruction of our enemy. That only Jesus Christ can do, but he had the power to do it, and he did it. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. After Adam's transgression, the Lord comes walking in the cool of the day. And he communicates with the man, communicates with the woman, communicates with the serpent. And here's what he says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And her seed shall bruise your head, and your seed shall bruise his heel. When he speaks about the seed of the woman, he's talking about the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. Not, it's not the seed of the man, it's the seed of the woman. Here's a prophecy that the Lord gave in the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden. I'm telling you, that prophecy came to pass 4,000 years down the road. When the Son of God hung upon Calvary, suspended between heaven and earth, that prophecy came to pass. Because the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to bruise the head of the seed of the serpent when he lays down his life. Now, when Satan led all the, had all the influence among the Roman soldiers, among the Jewish officials, one thing and another, which led to the arrest and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when Satan thought he had attained the victory. But right the opposite. It's through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was destroyed. Hebrews 2.14, for the children having not, well, excuse me, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The Lord destroyed him. In Matthew 25, verse 31, you have the Lord Jesus Christ who's placed sheep on his right hand and goats on his left. And he spoke to those sheep on the right hand. He says, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to the goats on the left, he says, Depart from me into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The Lord has prepared everlasting fire for the devil and his angels. And we come over here to Revelation chapter 20. In verse 10, we're going to read about the false prophet and the beast and Satan, or the devil. And what's going to happen to them? They're going to be cast out and cast into the lake of fire where they shall be burned and tormented forever and forever. Aren't you glad about all that? <laughs> Aren't you glad that the devil, and the devil knows all this. He knows he's a goner. <laughs> he knows where his eternal 
abiding place is going to be. It's going to be an everlasting fire that God's prepared for the devil and his angels and the wicked and the ungodly. I'm telling you, sometimes the wicked and the ungodly get away with murder, figuratively and literally here in this world. But they're not going to get away from God's final judgment. In the end, God's final judgment shall prevail. And the wicked and the ungodly and the devil and his angels are all going to be cast into everlasting fire that God prepared for the devil and his angels where they shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. But those on the right hand of God are going to enjoy eternal bliss. They're going to enjoy eternity with God the Father. The foreknew them and chose them and elected them, gave them to his son, whom the son died for and redeemed and saved them by his grace. And the Holy Spirit came and born them sometime between their conception and their death. And the Lord will deliver us finally, my friends, totally and completely from this world to that world, from this life to that life, where we will never, ever, ever be worried about a serpent or a dragon or the devil or an adversary or the accuser again of the brethren because God has taken care of it. Now, I'm going to close from Ephesians 6.10 where the apostle tells this church, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's not telling you to be strong in yourself because you don't have any strength. You're no match for the devil without, without the Lord. I can assure you that now. He's a formidable foe. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, that you might stand against the wiles of the devil, having done all to withstand, and therefore put on the whole armor of God, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, gird your loins about with truth, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of the spirit you might, uh, uh, that you might quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and then above all things, through supplication and prayer, that you pray to God. Did you notice the armor God gave to you? Protects the mind, protects the heart, protects the feet, protects the loins. You got defense, the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts. What? Of the wicked? You got that. If you put it on, you got it. <laughs> and I can tell you this morning, he will that will successfully give you the ability to successfully depend to defend rather yourself from the attacks of the devil on a daily basis. You'll be successful. You got the armor on. You can't be defeated. You got the armor on. You got what God's given unto you. You got the armor on. And what does that mean? That means you faithfully fill your seat in the house of God. You faithfully come to the Lord's house every Lord's day, every opportunity that you can when the doors are open. It means you read the Word of God daily and make it part of your life. It means you cultivate your prayer life. You have a fervent prayer life here. You talk to God, communicate to God. You draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to thee. You resist the devil. He'll flee from you. You can't do it in your own power, but you can do it in the power that God gives you in being a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ here in this world. Amen. What do we have, Brother Junior?